Welcome back to Service to School Stories. I'm your host, Sydney Mathis, Director of Student Success here at Service to School. As a former college admissions officer and the spouse of an active duty service member, I'm excited to dig into topics within the higher education landscape as it relates to veterans and transitioning service members. Let's dig in. Really excited for our guest on the podcast today. Um, Gus, thank you so much for joining us uh, here at Service to School Stories. Mostly excited to hear about your journey through the military, but then afterwards and starting service to school. So Gus is one of our co-founders. He's also our current chairman of the board. Um, he's a graduate of West Point. After his time in service, he went on to earn an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business and is currently working as a business management consultant. So Gus, I know you have a busy schedule, um, but thank you so much for lending your time here so we can just hear a little bit about you know what was going on to make you start service to school um, and just, I want to hear a little bit more about, you know, the growth and where you see service to school going. So, um, yeah, yeah, so much fun to talk to you. Thanks, Sydney. And, uh, you might not uh, hear, but Amanda's, uh, in the background recording. So thank you both very much for, uh, for, for having me on this. Um, so do you want the, the long version or the shorter version for the origin? Uh, let's, I'm always here for the longer version. <laughs> awesome. So. I, you know, I was thinking about this and it really, I mean, it, 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 we have a, a kind of a handful of core uh, founders, me, Anna Ivy, KT, uh, Khalil Tawil, um, Tim Shaw, and, and Chad Burgess. And so, uh, you know, I think really it starts maybe with Tim and I back at West Point. And so, you know, when I got, so I grew up in, in uh, North Carolina, my dad was in 7th Special Forces Group. And so I'd grown up mostly in a, in a very military environment near Fort Bragg. And everybody, this was, you know, seventh group in the 80s. So they were all just, you know, steely-eyed, unconventional killers, right? They're all going to South America all the time. They were always deployed. And when they got back, that, that's kind of who his friends were. And that's who I got to hang out with as a kid. So, you know, I, I got a rifle when I was 10 and was shooting from then. I was doing land nav when, when I was 10, 11. And I know I, I got to go to like the SF range, you know, and shoot Uzis and stuff and got to see uh you know, recoilless rifles. And so I was Sounds just like a little boy's like, dream. It was amazing. It was great. Um, and so I was, I, and I loved the military from kind of young age. I was, I was just around it. And um, that was just kind of part of my DNA. And so I uh, went to, went to West Point and I really had a culture shock when I went to West Point because West Point was not what I grew up around. West Point was, you know, sharply made beds, really shiny shoes, iron uniforms, and I thought I was going to go to West Point and just become this elite, you know, ranger infantry kind of guy. And it was like drill and rifle, you know, and like, you know, dress right dress and stuff like that. And so I was I was pretty jaded about that. Like, I was kind of shocked. Like, I was like, well, but what, what I grew up with were all these like smoking, hard drinking bikers that got to go to South America and like do drug interdiction and foreign area, you know, for, foreign internal defense type missions. And here I am like marching in a parade. Like I, I do not get any of this. So that was like cleave year and sophomore year. I was, I was kind of jaded. Sophomore year got a little better because we got to do Buckner. We got to do some stuff that was at least closer to the army. Um, but I was kind of a, a, a poor cadet. I mean, I, I did well in school. I did well in the physical stuff. I liked the army stuff, but I hated, I thought the drill was just stupid. So I didn't really like make my bed. I didn't really like shine my shoes. And so I was kind of, you know, like not really excelling at the whole West Point thing. And then actually I met Tim and Tim was someone who really kind of changed my perspective on this. And so I remember we were 
had to be, it was actually, it was junior year, I think, because I'd had a ton of hours by that time. I'd gotten in trouble a lot. Um, and then junior year, and I was still kind of like, what, what is this? You know, I was like, should I just like enlist? Should I just get out and enlist? Cause that's the kind of stuff I like to do rather than this West Point stuff. So, um, we were, I was like a squad leader and Tim was uh, my platoon sergeant. I hadn't met him yet. I, I kind of knew him at Buckner, but I didn't, I didn't really meet him. We, we weren't really friends yet. And we had this thing, I was in first regiment. And so we were called the empire or something like that. And so one of the, the fun things we would do is the cadets march back from Buckner, the plebes, the, the first year cadets, when they become kind of, they start their, their, their academic year, they do like a 12 mile march from Buckner and they march into the kind of courtyard for our regiment. And all the upperclassmen, it's like there's a balcony, there's like stairs, then a balcony, then windows, and all the cadets, upper-class cadets kind of line up on the balcony and line up. And everyone looks like, you know, you're, you're 17, a 20-year-old looks like, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a you know, very you know, intimidating figure to you. Right. And so as they march in, they play the, the Empire music. I'm not sure what the like from Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. The cadets, new cadets march in. They've uh, they've just done a 12 mile march. They're filthy. They're, all these cadets are very intimidating. You play the music. They have to go. There's a basement. They have to run through. There's like a gauntlet, and everyone's screaming at them and stuff. But so that that was the scenario. What was going to happen? And Tim had actually gone through, and I don't know how he did this, but he got a clean uniform for everybody. And he had put that uniform on everybody's bed. And it was just so incredibly like, so you know, like when you've been in the field forever, you, it's so awful. You feel so grimy. You've been there for a week. Oh, yeah. Right? As a military it's, spouse, I wash all of that in the washing yeah, machine. And it's yeah. just getting my washing machine clean afterwards is it's nearly so impossible. It's disgusting. And so he had gotten, somehow gotten everybody a fresh uniform. And I think he cleaned them all himself. But as soon as everybody got into their room, they had a, a new fresh uniform laid out for them. And so that did a couple things. One is it, it was just so thoughtful, you know? <clears throat> and it one, our platoon looked great. Like our platoon was immaculate looking, right? And I was like, oh, we look better than any other platoon out there. So it had kind of the purpose of like, we look the best. And two, those guys, the, those cadets were ready to go to war with Tim, right? And so that was kind of the first time I saw, oh, okay can do this barracks bs you can do this shiny shoes thing and still have and still be a good fighter a good infantryman a good uh warrior and that was kind of the first time it clicked for me like oh i, I could do both of these things and so after that i was like oh, okay let me let me figure out how to play this game and so that's when i started doing much better at west point so that was kind of the first time i met tim and after that and we're peers but i was like wow that guy gets it you know so i was really moved inspired by that and so you know, from then, we've been friends basically since then. So we were friends at West Point. We went to OBC together. We went to all the infantry post-OBC schools together. We were on the same plane deployed together. We went to different battalions, but our first deployment was together. Um, so, and, and so we've been friends since then. And then we also, during all of our various activities, we'd also done a lot of volunteering. So one thread is this kind of military thread. The other thread is service. And so we had... Like when we were at Fort Lewis, we both uh, volunteered at a juvenile center uh, outside of Fort Lewis to tutor uh, folks in, in juvenile uh, detention. Um, we had done some, we both volunteered at like the library at, uh, in Fort Benning. There's a library you can do some volunteer stuff for. 
so we'd always kind of seen each other and volunteered at different places together. Um, so we had a threat of the military, a threat of service, and kind of the threat of just caring about soldiers. And so all that came together once we got out. I was in MBA, I was in uh, NYU. Tim was, I think he was still in the service at that time, or he was getting ready to get out. And we thought about like, what can we do to continue to kind of serve others in this capacity and still kind of maintain the military connection? And so that was the idea for service to school was we had uh, a lot of soldiers, and I'll say soldiers because I was in the army, but we had a lot of soldiers who very, very smart, very, very capable, but maybe didn't have the same opportunities as others, may have heard of different kinds of schools and different things that they could achieve. And we we're like, well, let's figure out a way to try to reach as many of those people as we can to then help them into school. Um, and so that was kind of the, maybe the last thread. So we talked about service, talked about soldiers, talked about the military. The third is it might be this kind of thread of education and, uh, and kind of immigrant influence. So my family came from Nicaragua, so they'd always kind of value education real highly. Tim's family is from like Thailand, uh, Taiwan, China. And so they also were kind of first, second generation, highly valued education. KT's family, I think is from Lebanon. So almost all the founders have uh, an immigrant or either first or second generation Americans. And all of them have a very strong kind of uh, if, if you know any like first or second generations, all they taught every time, it's just education, education yeah. and hard work is it. Yeah. And so that, that was the other thread that kind of inspired us to, to kind of start this, this organization. Love it. The best long answer there, Gus, because just, I just picture you guys, you know, kind of like going through the trenches together and then still wanting to help other people. Um, and I think that's, so much of when I'm talking to our ambassadors, you know, and just thanking them for their time, because there's a million other things, you know, you all could have been devoting your time to and our ambassadors could be de devoting their time to um, and just wanting to help this community, I think is is just a really cool mission. Um, and then how did you get linked up with Anna? That happened pretty soon after that's that's why it was kind of an idea of Tim and I, but we quickly realized that we didn't have the full capability we needed. And so I think Tim knew Khalil and Khalil knew Anna. Okay. And so Khalil was another just, just super rock star. And I think he was in the service at the time when we were starting it, but he was, you know, very dedicated to education, was looking for, for a kind of a cause to help develop and build. And then he knew Anna because Anna was, is really like the core of our education and admissions knowledge, because none of us knew anything, but we all went to West Point. So nobody yeah. really knew about how to apply or get into other schools. And so yeah. Anna was like the, oh, and, and Anna had, I had some military connections as well. I think her father was, uh, was, uh, you know, taught soldiers in Germany or something like that. Um, so she had a, she, she cared about the military, but then she was just such an expert in admissions and higher ed. And so that's, that was kind of our, okay, she is like the expert in this. So then we all came together and kind of formulated services school from there. Um, in speaking with Anna, it was just, really interesting hearing kind of the, the higher ed education admissions piece. And then now speaking with you and hearing, you know, kind of you all bringing that service piece together and just kind of like meshing both of your worlds. Cause like you said, applying to service academies is so different. I've been, you know, helping students apply to college for the last 10 years and the service academy route has so many more checkpoints and, you know, the physical fitness piece and just different things that they're, those admissions committees are looking for. And then when you okay. are, talk to a student who's applying to a state school or a private school, you know, all women's college, those are very different admissions processes. Um, yeah. And just kind of like the why, um, why do you want to go to a service academy versus, you know, why would you go to 
an all women's college. Um, I think there's certainly some overlap, but um, I love that you all saw that gap and you're like, yes, need to get an expert for that. Yeah. Um, to fill well, there's, that I mean, there's so many blind spots, you know, that, that we have, there's a, my firm does a training called blind spots. That's about diversity and, and inclusion. That's super helpful, but you can think, I mean, even though, you know, KT has a, a Middle East background, I have a Central American background. Tim has a Taiwanese background. We're all kind of uh, West Point, West Point people, you know? And so one of the things like that, that was another blind spot was a lot of soldiers have terrible experiences with West Point officers. You know, I was like, oh, we're the best, but maybe, maybe we're not. And I remember I went to uh, a Columbia event when I had just gotten out. I, I think I was, uh, it was, this was 2009 or 2010. I was talking to a group of um, Columbia undergrads that were soldiers. And I kind of started, with, hey, I went to West Point. I'm an infantry officer, blah, blah, blah. And everybody was turned off by that. Like no one, no one, they didn't want to hear about from an officer. They didn't want to hear from a West Point person. They didn't want to hear, you know, all the stuff. And I was like, I'm trying to help you with your career and think through things. And they're like, nah, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's one of the other like big learnings is like, you know, there's some people that, you know, you, you have to have a diversity of folks so that you can reach everybody you want to reach. Um, and especially with enlisted uh, soldiers, like a specialist, like we, we one time had uh, one, one ranger, uh, he was a specialist from Ranger Battalion go through uh the the program and he had just randomly saw us on a website or something the next cycle we had like 30 people from battalion and basically if, you, if you're a specialist you're going to listen to one specialist over a senior enlisted member an officer and that was like a light bulb moment for us too about kind of blind spots and the importance of having the right level of diversity having the right kind of um uh, kind of folks to help you reach all the people you want to reach yeah. And I, I think we even still see that today, right? When I'm talking to applicants on calls and, you know, we're going kind of through their background, um, you know, some of them will say, yeah, can I, I, I would really like to talk to someone who was in my same MOS. Cause I think that peer to peer piece is just so important to them. Um, as far as even just like translating their experiences or someone that they feel comfortable and can be vulnerable because college admissions process just requires vulnerability, right? You're laying it all out there for strangers and admissions committee to read. So having someone on your team that understands, you know, the transition that you're making and kind of, you know, that that work that you put in um, is just I think the reward there is huge. Um, But still being involved as, you know, co-chairman of the board, looking at where the organization has come since 2011, um, what would you say has been the biggest evolution of service to school? the biggest evolution. There's, there's so many like little evolutions, you know, that, that's part, maybe part of it is that, you know, it's just been kind of step by step by step by step. We never, we never really had, there's a couple, maybe a couple kind of step changes. I'll, I'll cover those, but it's, it's basically taken day in, day out work for 10 years to be able to reach, you know, the, the, the few thousand that, that we reach. Um, it's just, it, it, I think that's important. That there's no real magic bullet. The biggest is we had a huge generous donation from a veteran um, who likes to remain anonymous, but um, is a is a hedge fund uh, hedge fund titan maybe maybe you would say, and he gave us enough money that we could hire our first FTE, and so we hired our first CEO on on his uh, super generous donation, and that was probably the biggest milestone moment. Now right around there we also got that that helped us get a number of foundation big foundation grants from. Um, from a number of the foundations that support us, um, you know, Mann Foundation, the Schultz Foundation, New, Paul Newman's Foundation. It also helped us start the, um, the VetLink program, 
which provides a, a, a lot of our a lot of our income the partnerships that we have with with a number of uh, you know top schools so that that first big donation that let us hire someone is probably the biggest part of the evolution but it's been you know reaching out to it's a lot of college fairs it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one talks with students it's those students spreading it by word of mouth or, or veterans or service members spreading it by word of mouth i think that was probably the biggest and then each kind of leader of service to school brings something. You know, we, we've had a number of executive directors like uh, Joe Lynch or Rahul Harpalani, um, you know, uh, Andrea Goldstein, uh, Christine is our, was our COO and is now our CEO. Like each one of those brings kind of another level of, of quality and capability to, to, to service to school. So it's really just these combined effort of so many people coming together to kind of move it forward. And that word of mouth piece, it's always fun when I'm talking to someone, I'm like, so how'd you hear about service to school? And they say something, I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, now I go and research. Like, I think there's another podcast, um, Rangers in the title, I can't remember um, what it's called, but another military, you know, focused podcast. And someone said they heard us on that podcast. So then I was like trying to Google that episode and figure out like what they were talking about to tie us in or, you know, they, they saw us mentioned in Military Times article and it's just piecing those together to, you know, just kind of spread that word um, has been interesting to see where service to school kind of falls in, in conversations. But even someone the other day said they saw a poster, a service to school poster um, really? in their battalion, like hanging up in their battalion office. And I was like, I didn't even know we had posters. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, and that was when we first started, we were like, okay, well, we're going to get on bases and that's going to solve everything. Or we're going to get in the transition program, TAPS, whatever they call it now. And that's going to solve everything. And then I, you know, kind of what I've realized is that like, look, it's not, there's not going to be a single magic bullet. There's going to be like 15 things that we have to do well every day for us to be able to grow. And really the, the point isn't grow to growth's sake. The point is that I want to make sure every soldier that wants to go to a great school, whether it be Harvard or UNC or UT Austin, you know, can do that and can, can at least know what they're capable of, get a good assessment of where they should be and then get some assistance to be able to translate their experiences into something that an admissions office uh, is gonna recognize and that will resonate with them. I think that part is so important too, is being able to translate that experience to something that someone who has no idea what their life in the military entails. Um, I, even people, I tell them, you know, we move every two years as an active duty army family and people are like, what? That's crazy. I had no idea you moved that much and just, you know, a simple PCS and how that disrupts, like just yeah. hand, edu like education, normal life stuff. Um, I think there's just, you know, an admissions committee has no idea. Yeah. Um, so the vet link addendum that, you know, is there to serve as that demilitarized resume is just huge. Like, yeah. I wish I had something like that when I was re reading applications for GW, because um, it's just incredible context that you would never have otherwise. Every yeah. college should be using the VetLink addendum personally is my opinion. Yeah, and there's so many layers that are important to the admissions process. I mean, I remember when we first started this, you, you people were asking, you know, a, a, a Sergeant E5 who'd done three tours in Iraq and was 24 years old, 25 years old for their high school, <laughs> high school guidance counselor recommendation. It's like, if you, I mean, I, I, I would, if I was in that person's position, I got to ask for my high school guidance counselor's recommendation. I would just, that would, so that would turn me off so much. I might not apply. Absolutely. Wouldn't even know who to reach out to, to get that. Yeah. yeah. It just shows such a lack of understanding 
which which luckily I think that's part of the Vetland program is that you know two way education process. You know, another one that that I think about is uh, you know military awards, right? You know, they don't necessarily just hand them out, but for a, an officer to get a bronze star for a deployment uh, is is leagues easier than it is for an E five to get a bronze star. So if you have an E five or an E four that got a bronze star, that's really 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 special, and that should be explained and, and kind of translated versus, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my bronze star, but I know that I know what I had to do it. And I know that it was easier for me than it would be for a lower enlisted soldier. And again, just context, context that admissions wouldn't have otherwise. So Um, kind of going off of that same idea, what would you say you think is the biggest hurdle that veterans face in higher education today? Probably themselves first. You know, it's uh, you, you just we had one soldier um, who was from South Central L.A. Uh, didn't do great in high school. You know, he had other things that were going on in his life that, that prevented him from kind of, you know, giving his full in high school. But he joined the military, joined the army right after and got disciplined, kind of got, got built some self-worth and then got out, went to community college, did really well in community college. And he's like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm, I'm smarter than like, you know, they told me I was in high school. I'm actually doing really good. So maybe, maybe I could go to college, right? And of course, like, like a lot of vets who just don't have the educational background or the knowledge, he applied to the, the schools that vets know, um, which are all for-profit schools. And so, you know, he was, he was accepted to DeVry and right before, but luckily he got some counseling in between getting accepted and signing. But literally the day before he was going to sign with DeBry, he got into Stanford University. So it's, it's I mean, yeah. can you imagine that in your life going to a for-profit school <laughs> versus Stanford University? Yeah. So, so that, that's the first thing is just, you know, not, not everyone can get into to Stanford Harvard. Not everyone can get into UT or UNC. And you might not want to. A lot of one of the things I found is a lot of my soldiers have a lot of people have found their own way. You know, I've I've uh, soldiers that um, do uh, underwater the the, deep, the the scuba diving, the welding, underwater welding that requires uh, some schooling, but it doesn't require a four year degree. You know, I have soldiers that are doing kind of technical trade type work. Um, I have soldiers that are you know just started working right after military. They either got a government job or they were able to get a kind of a white collar job in an office or something without a degree. And then I got soldiers that, you know, went into these, these kind of top four, top 10 schools or top 20 or top 30. So it's not that it's not necessarily you have to go one way or another, but that person's life going to DeVry versus Stanford is leagues different. And that's kind of why we, we, so we want to solve for undermatching, you know? Right. Yep, absolutely. And those are the most fun conversations that I get to have here talking to our applicants. Um, I was talking to one the other day and He's been doing like mechanical work, you know, and now is thinking, okay, maybe I'll go and do electrical engineering. And he was like, but I don't have a lot of the, you know, classes that they're looking for. And I was like, look, go take these prereqs at a community college. But what's going to make you stand out the most isn't those community college classes. It's that you get to tell a story through your essays about how your time in service has prepared you, you know, to be successful in this career. You can say you've been doing this work. Um, and when, you know, like giving him that confidence and just hearing from someone that no man, like your work in the military is, is not for nothing. Like you have a lot to be proud of and to be able to share with an admissions committee 
And those are just truly some of the most rewarding conversations that we're able to have here. So yeah, well, I think you hit on the second, probably the second biggest one, which is uh, having a having a thoughtful plan. Um, mm-hmm. Almost every vet has some level of go to community college first, and community colleges are really the the kind of the one of America's best kept secrets because oh, you yeah. can go for a couple of years, you can tighten up your schooling, you can get back into the academic rhythm, and then you can transfer to the, the, uh, an amazing school. Um, so community colleges are really so, but you have to plan for that. So you have to plan. Okay, I'm getting out. You know, Sergeant Snuffy is getting out. Like, okay, where do I what do I want to do career wise? What do you know? Do I need college for that? Okay, well then let me plan a couple years community college. How am I going to live? How am I going to support the family? How am I going to and then plan for the you know the two year college degree? So thinking through that plan and figuring out how you're going to make it work is is, is probably the, the the second biggest besides believing in yourself. And that plan, so, you know, using your benefits, right? So we talked a little bit before this about tuition assistance, but another one, you know, if an institution is investing in a student veteran and providing institutional financial aid, and they can save that, say their plan is to go to an MBA or to law school or even med school, and you can save your benefits for graduate school, right? Like if that is part of your plan, that end goal uh, that costs a lot of money. So to, to put in your plan to be able to set yourself up financially as well, um, you know, certainly everyone isn't in the position to do that. But gosh, if you have the foresight to plan um, and, you know, can save those benefits, that's huge. But another thing that we, we came across recently is um, the NCO that my husband works with. Her spouse is using his benefits to go to trade school. Um, to work on HVAC. The trade school that he's attending is a for-profit and just recently shut down. And now he's left having already used those benefits, but community colleges offer those courses, right? So like going back to your point that a community college is like sometimes the best kept secret. I mean, to be able to go to a community college and get that same education, that same trade work, um, you know, and an institution that you know you're you're using your benefits wisely, um, it's just so big. And my, yeah. my stance on for-profits has kind of softened a little bit over the years because I, I kind of see now the need for having something where, where you, can, you can get like a virtual education. You know, so I, I saw when we first started, I mean, I think Tim and I wrote a New York Times op-ed on just the, how, how awful the for-profits were and how they were targeting veterans. Uh, and I think that's largely true. But there are like if you if in the one you mentioned is a great example of that Corinthian College was another example of that and for profits are still like the top top ten recipients of GI Bill funding which is largely atrocious. But if but what it's important is for you as the service member transitioning to, to just do some research and say okay is this you know is this degree going to get me the what where I want to get to or am I just doing it because I've heard get a degree and it'll be set because that's not the case you can get a very expensive degree and then not get a great job and then just have a lot of debt. So it's important, like you said, if it's if trade schools route you wanna go, make sure if you're going to a for-profit for that, I think community college, like you said, much better option. But if you're going to a for-profit for that, just make sure it's very reputable and you know people and you've talked to people that have done that route and they're successful and that you kind of do some of that homework. And service to school can certainly help you do that, but it's important, I think, for, for you as a vet to do that as well. Yeah, that is. I mean, again, it's just requires some forethought though. Like you said, you know, not just going the easy route, which I mean, we all (laughs) prefer the easy route. Um, That's why I have those couch to 5k training things, right? You can't just go the easy route to run a marathon. Um, 
And then, so coming back to, you know, you founding Service to School, um, where do you see Service to School going? So, I mean, we serve uh, about 3,000, two, two to 3,000 vets a year, depending on the, on how you want to, you know, what is, what exactly is serving, because we don't matriculate that many, but we do help out a, you know, a lot of folks in terms of our one-on-one mentorship, in terms of downloads, of a lot of our guidebooks. So what, you know, it, what is the upper end of our services? You know, let's assume you get 100,000 vets leaving every year. Let's assume half those want to go to college and half those are going to find their own way. Then assume of, the, of, the, of that half, you know, maybe 20, 30% really need help and don't understand. That's 20 to 30,000, you know, that's uh, what, 10, 10 to 20,000. So, so at least that, at least 10,000, at least 20,000 more. I think VetLink should probably be in, in nearly every, you know, top 50, top 100 school in the country. Um, so I think really, but really the, the goal here is to solve for undermatching. And it's hard to say how many veterans are being undermatched, but how many veterans, if, if, if for-profits are the top 10 recipients of GI Bill money, then that's you know hundreds of thousands of veterans that are probably not achieving what they could achieve because they're getting, uh, they're getting robbed by, uh, by a lot of slick marketing and lack of, uh, lack of knowledge. Oh yeah, it's that slick marketing, man. You watch TV, you listen to you know the radio, you drive past most installations. It's that that marketing that you know. It's yeah, I the grew name. up in Fort Bragg, right? I grew up in Spring Lake, North Carolina. So, so you know, go go outside every any any military base. You see quick loans, you see fast cash, you see pawn shops, you see you know half my privates, uh, we got back, they buy F-150s for, you know, at the time, I don't know, 25,000, they're probably 50,000 now. Everybody has a motor, new motorcycle. Like, you know, at the, at the time it was all male, you know, and it was all infantry. And so everyone's just blowing their money on just the dumbest stuff. So it's, it, services school can't necessarily solve for that. Uh, military members are sometimes easy marks, but we can at least try to help people get, uh, make better education choices. Absolutely. And it's just the access to education choices too, right? The access to information. You don't know what you don't know. Like when I talk to applicants and they're like, I don't really know what questions to ask. And I'm like, that's fine. You, you, you don't, that's what you're here for. You know, you're here to, if that question comes up to ask your ambassador or reach out to yeah. your service to school advisor. And I think just having someone that they trust that they know will give them, you know, better information. Um, you know, even that's meeting a need. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right. we were just, I, I, we had, I had this soldier named goats. He was, uh, he was, uh, we, we, this is, I, I, this is terrible, but one is we, uh, when we got to Germany, everyone was taking bets on who was going to be the first person to marry a, a German woman just off the bat. It took about three weeks and goats <laughs> got married, married, married a German woman right off the bat, just to give you, he, he makes decisions fast and not necessarily most rationally, but, um, but there is the other thing goats did is, so we, we were doing the NCOs were doing a room inspection, but I was just going with them just to, you know, kind of be part of the process. I'm going there and Goats has a brand new Encyclopedia Britannica set. Like in the barracks, he's got this like, you know, cabinet or <laughs> drawer. Lots out of, of books. Just all these glossy books. And I'm like, you know, go, I'll, I'll try to not use the language, but Goats, what, what is this? What are you doing? He's like, well, uh, I talked to, uh, this guy named his name was like Jimmy Johns. Literally, he had a name. I was like Jason Johns. No, literally. And now he's had name. a successful uh, sandwich shop. He does. Hopefully, not. but so he was like, no, well, uh, well, there's this uh, old NCO Jimmy Johns. He sits outside the, uh, the the Chow Hall. He's a civilian now, and and he was saying, well, hey, do you want to go to college? And Goats is like, you know, Goats is coming out of the Chow Hall. 
Do you want to go to college? Yeah, yeah, I want to go to college. Well, you're going to need books, aren't you? Yeah, I think I'm going to need books. Sold them uh, $2,000 <laughs> Encyclopedia Britannica. So me and the NCOs literally went right there, right to the chow hall. There's this guy, Jimmy Johns, who like sits outside the chow hall and we're like, get, get off base like right now or, or there's going to be some issues. We never want to see you here again. And he just, he just <laughs> takes off running. But, but now, now, so that's like the information, like we, we have goats level information, which is, I want to go to school. I need some books. I'm going to buy this $2,000 set of Encyclopedia Britannica. And it's like goats, try, try to get rid of those books. Like try to sell those or something. Yeah. Don't, you know. But that was, that's kind of the, I'll say goats is the inspiration then for school. There you go. Well, thanks goats, because I now have the best job to be able to support veterans throughout this process. So I guess I need to write goats a thank you letter. Yeah, me too. I need to go look up goats to see what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to have him on the podcast, you know, he's, he's a lot <laughs> he's of really great encyclopedias now. Goats, great stories. Um, Gus, just last question for you. What would you say is your biggest piece of advice to service members who are considering going on and pursuing higher education? You know, there's the, 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 the longer I've been out of the military and the older I get, the less I want to give advice to anybody because there's, there's just so, there's just so many different paths out there for people to take. I, yeah. I don't know if you want to take advice from me or not. So, so <laughs> just take it with a grain of salt, this advice. Now, I, I think that probably the best thing is, is just to do some thinking about what you really truly enjoy and what you want to do and being honest with yourself about it. Cause it's, it's very easy for us to convince ourselves we like one thing or like another because of kind of the story we tell ourselves and we don't necessarily have that, that much honesty. And especially when you're getting out of the military, it's such a big change. Um, even now, I mean, I've been out, I got out in 09. So I've been out of the military longer than I was ever in the military. And I still feel like a soldier. Like that's still kind of core to my identity. I don't talk about it. I don't, I'm, I'm almost, I'm pretty close to wearing the hat, like Iraq war veteran. I'm pretty close. Yeah. I'm pretty close to wearing the hat. I'm not wearing the hat yet, but I could give me another five years. I'm probably gonna be wearing the hat. Um, but it's still pretty core to my identity. And I think, so that's such a big change. You really got to think about what, what do you want to do and why? Um, and it's such a fast change sometimes, you know, it's like you really got to think through it. And so I would, I guess the, the way to summarize that would be, really be true to yourself and be, and really think hard about what you want your life to be about post-service. And hopefully that, you know, service to school can help you achieve that if it involves education. Great advice that why, you know, I think it's, it can be overwhelming and daunting to say, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Especially when that has been your identity. Um, But that's again, that peer to peer piece and just talking to people and hearing how other people, you know, came to that conclusion or, what they talked through and worked through, I think is incredibly valuable. So I hope our listeners, if you're not working with service to school, you know, take Gus's advice, you know, start to think about that why and, and what that next step is going to look like as you begin to transition. But Gus, thank you so much for your time. I know we're on a hard stop here, but it's been so much fun. I hope we get to have more of these conversations down the road. Um, But, you know, your, um, the, the value that you have provided to service to school as an organization and that you continue to provide is incredibly meaningful. So thank you for the impact you're having on you know this community and the work that you and Tim and all the other founders and Anna put in place um, for service to school to be where we're at today. So thanks again. Thank you. That's it for this episode. 
Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more Service to School stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, the Director of Student Success, and produced by Amanda DeBias, the Director of Communication at Service to School. Service to School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next time and follow us for more on all of your favorite social media platforms.